0: The WNBA is exploring expansion. Plus, later in the episode, we speak to the commissioner and CEO of an equally ambitious league, that being Major League Rugby. It's Tuesday, August 15th. Happy birthday, Rachel. I'm Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The WNBA is getting serious about adding at least one team. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co author David Rumsey. Welcome, David. Hey, Owen. Great to have you. So what do we know about the WNBA's expansion efforts?
1: We've known for a while that the NBA would like to expand beyond the 12 teams the league currently has. 2025 has kind of been set as the earliest possible year. Earlier in this year, the WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert told Front Office Sports they had kind of narrowed down the expansion list to maybe 10 cities or so. Not all of those would get selected, maybe two, three, four And now they're taking a next major step. They're going to go visit a city this week. On Wednesday, the WNBA is going to reportedly go visit Denver, Colorado, to look at some gyms and meet with a group that would like to own a WNBA team. All right.
0: Yeah. And so it sounds like Denver is obviously a contender. What other cities should we be keeping an eye on here?
1: For a while, they've been looking at markets like the Bay Area, Charlotte, North Carolina, Philadelphia, Portland, Austin, Texas, which is also uh, reportedly seeking new investors uh, for an ownership group there as well. So several cities uh, around the country as they try to maybe add a couple teams in each of the Eastern and Western conferences, perhaps.
0: Right. And this league's still new enough and small enough that there are a lot of big markets. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten Philly doesn't have a WNBA team. You know, There there's some major markets that don't have one. And so, yeah, plenty of good ones to choose from. Um, with that potential demand, uh, do we know anything about um, what kind of expansion fee these these teams could be paying?
1: A while ago, there were reports out there of potentially up to $20 million potentially for uh, an expansion fee. So that's not huge by some standards uh, when you look at a lot of other pro leagues and even the National Women's Soccer League uh, Bay Area team just went for $50 million this year. So it's getting up there and who knows if they would actually get that amount of money for, for a team but it, it's you know it, it's substantial and there's certainly interest because it seems like a lot of these cities do want to throw their name in the hat for a potential team
0: yeah and those expansion fees are interesting just in that that's you know you, one of those moments when you get a dollar amount on how desirable is this league in in the broader U.S. market. And obviously there's there's always individual factors on each league, each moment, each city, etc. But uh, yeah, it's it's every league is trying to say they're the the biggest next thing. And that's a moment when you say, OK, how much is the biggest next thing worth?
1: Right. And it could depend on the market, right? If the Bay Area got a team that could be more than, say, Charlotte, North Carolina, which used to have a team, the Charlotte Sting back in the day. So there's a lot of fluid fluidity and it, a lot of things could happen.
0: Yeah. And does expansion have buy-in among WNBA players?
1: Well, earlier this year, I talked to Asia Wilson, who is the defending NBA MVP, uh, defensive player of the year on the league-leading Las Vegas Aces. And she's a proponent of expansion, but she would really like to see the current 144 WNBA players taken better care of, maybe getting better practice facilities, getting higher salaries, instead of spreading that out among, you know, For every team you add, that's 12 more players or potentially more if the WNBA expands their roster sizes. So her concern was just making sure that there's enough to go around for all the players and they're not getting spread too thin just so they can bring in a quick cash injection for an expansion fee to get a new city.
0: Yeah, and it speaks to this tricky moment where they're at, where, yeah, there are players are asking like for charter flights, obviously, is one big issue. But, yeah, pay is another one, just making sure that every player on the roster is is making a good wage. Um, but, yeah, also, I have heard the calls for uh, growing, you know, just putting more roster spots out there, um, whether that's expanding the, the rosters of current teams, but also, obviously, adding markets is a way to, to grow the league in a more substantial way.
1: Right, and to be fair it's not like adding teams wouldn't bring in new revenue as well. That would give more games to be aired on TV and potentially more money to come in through a media deal or other sponsorship uh, avenues. So it's a little bit of a give and take. So I think players aren't necessarily against expansion. They just want to make sure that if it's done, they're not getting the short end of the stick and the owners are getting more money than they are just by bringing in a new team.
0: Any next steps that we should be keeping an eye on as this process unfolds?
1: We'll see how the Denver visit goes this week and see if the WNBA starts touring around the country for maybe some more uh, potential city visits.
0: All right, David Rumsey, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, Owen. Up next, I spoke to the CEO and commissioner of Major League Rugby, Nick Benson. Professional rugby in the US is in a very interesting position where it's still fairly new and not super well known among the general public, but not unlike soccer in the US, it's got a solid participation base, a huge international fan base, and the Rugby World Cup coming to the US in 2031. Nick and I got into all of that and more and that conversation is coming up next. All right. I am joined now by Nick Benson, CEO and commissioner of Major League Rugby. Welcome, Nick.
2: Welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, great to have you. And just to ground us a little bit. I'm, I'm sure MLR is, you know, some of our listeners I'm sure are not super familiar. So just give us a sense of the league, how long you've been around, you know, how many teams you have. Just give us the basic lay of the land here.
2: Sure. So we launched in we launched in 2018 as a new rugby league uh, the United States. We launched with seven teams um, in 2018 over the, the six years and kind of one of them abbreviated uh, like many sports properties because of COVID in 2020, over the six years, we've grown to 12 teams this year. Uh, we'll add a 13th next year in Miami. We're in, you know, seven of the top 10 media markets um, around the country, um, you know, uh, San Diego, Seattle, um, you know, New York, DC, Atlanta. I won't name every <laughs> every market right now, but we're, mm-hmm. we're, um, we've got a pretty broad national spread this year. We, we launched a team in Chicago, uh, the Chicago Hounds, uh, which was really exciting. We had our championship game there this year, and uh, we're really excited about bringing Miami on next year.
0: And just going back to that that founding moment of the league and the growth of the league, um, where did, did you and, and other executives see the, the market for uh, a major league, for a professional rugby league in the US?
2: So rugby's been around in the U.S. for a long time as as, as a challenger sport. Uh, It's very commonly played at the club level in college. There's a really robust men's and women's uh, club ecosystem at the adult level and at the youth level. So we've always known that there was a market for this. Um, You know, if you go back as far as as 2014, uh, the the All Blacks, which is, you know, the New Zealand national team, somewhat storied, um, somewhat storied program uh, internationally came across to play the Eagles in Chicago. and, And that was a sellout at Soldier Field. So you've had um, over you know over the course of several decades, you've had a growing sport, a growing participation sport that's become more and more popular at the high school and at the youth level. You've had these one-off events um, that really drove big crowds and big attendance and big engagement. So we knew that there was a market for rugby that we that we could tap into. There was a rugby community in the United States that was really hungry uh, for something that they could sink their teeth into. Um, so they weren't just watching the professional leagues from sort of Australasia and, and England and France. Um, so that was sort of the genesis and that was the thought process behind the genesis. We knew that there was a market that had been somewhat proven. Um, so we set out to, to create a property around it.
0: And you guys recently wrapped up your 2023 season. How did that go and what did you learn?
2: um so it was, uh, it was you know our, our most successful season season to date um you know across the board our our, our reach our sort of social media marketing reach went up by 22 um it was the third year uh, that we had the rugby network which is our owned um our own ott media platform and we saw 70 percent growth in, in subscribers on that uh, over the course of the season in stadium attendance was up uh, around 20 percent over the course of the year that's doesn't quite include the final so uh, you know, reserve the right to, to amend that number as we go forward. Um, so, so, all in all, it was our most, our most successful year to date. Um, we had our, our, our championship game, our first ever neutral site championship in, um, in Chicago at SeatGeek Stadium. Uh, huge success, and you had 10,000 in um, 10, change tickets sold. We had DJ Diesel or, or Shaq um, sort of opening the festivities. Um, just a tremendous atmosphere um, in stadium. Um, really good game. Lots of lead changes, one point final. Um, it's kind of exactly what you want from uh, from a media perspective. So you know, all in all, I think we're we're incredibly happy with with where we were at the close of twenty
0: twenty three. Yeah, very cool. And what's the significance of the uh, the neutral site there? What, why was that a goal for you?
2: So you know, previously we'd always uh, we'd always held the, the championship at um, uh, you know, the sort of higher seed uh, qualifiers uh, home stadium. Um, which gives you sort of a week to ten days to, to plan an event, um, which obviously is challenging. It means you can do a pretty good game. You you get the home crowd because you know you've got the the hometown fans uh, coming out. But we wanted this year's championship to be um, about something more than that. Uh, so we really wanted to a have time to to plan an event around it. So we had a whole day of events. We had a, a block party out front in the stadium with. You know, there was kids rugby, there were, um, you know, sponsor stands, food trucks, and kind of had a whole thing outside the stadium. You had, you know, the performances before the game and also the draw kick Murphys after the game. And you just can't plan an event like that in in a week to 10 days. We wanted it to be about a lot more than just what happens kind of within the four corners of the field. Uh, It's a celebration of kind of everything that we've built over six years. Um, You know, something uh, for the fans, regardless of what team um that are rooting for something that the fans can sink their teeth into and come out to and enjoy um and so we wanted it to be about something bigger um and then we're hoping that you know we'll you know, kind of take the blueprint that we built a lot of operational lessons learned like anytime you do something for the first time and kind of take that and do something bigger and better next year
0: and so just to make sure i got this right you had shack to open and finished off with the dropkick murphys correct this is probably wonder if that's ever happened at any any festival anywhere <laughs> um, what was it I don't know, any stories from from either working with either of them
2: uh, I mean listen it's always it's always an experience i think it's the first time for a lot of us that, that we had worked with with stars at that level you know the the order the order of events had as much to do with with, with scheduling because I think shaq got us uh, straight on a plane to perform in Vegas that night um, so it was kind of a last minute deal that we were able to uh to, to squeeze in but you know like w- what it was was um, it let us uh, you know, do what we when you're working in a challenger sport when you're working in, a, in the most competitive sports market on earth uh, you have to do everything that you can to get outside of your ecosystem and to make new fans and, and people aware of what you're doing i think we have a sport that's that's compelling it's dynamic it's fast-paced it's, it's intimate it's it's physical it's all of those things that appeal to an american sports fan uh, the problem is you know a lot of american sports fans as you noted earlier aren't necessarily familiar with what we're doing right so the more that we can do to bring relevance uh to our sport and getting it outside of our echo chamber uh, the better off we're going to be so that's really what that was about
0: I had no idea. Check had such a, a busy DJing schedule. Uh, <laughs> me me neither. That, that point around um, on that point of you know bringing it to a broader audience and you know showing the game, explaining the game to a broader audience. What's your relationship like with Fox, your main media partner?
2: Uh, it's it, it's really good. I mean, we've been with them. I think uh, kind of th- that deal predates me, um, but we've been with them for for, for three or four years. Um, every year, I, I don't have finals. Um, I don't have finals for this year, but but as of last year, you know our, our sort of overall um, average viewership on Fox was up around 60% over the previous year. Um, so we're really happy with that, with that package and they've given us you know a lot of great exposure. I think for a sport like ours, just, just being able to put our final on Fox and, and kind of get that exposure and, and expose new fans to the game is really, really important.
0: Yeah. And you're looking toward, you know, your, your media deal runs through next year with them. How are you approaching
2: the next set of negotiations? We haven't really started. I mean, we haven't really started those yet. Um, we're kind of starting to get into those conversations over the summer. I, I think what we really are, are trying to drive and what we view sort of Fox and that relationship at and that relationship as is is kind of the, the front facing the top of the funnel for the fans. Um, you know, we view ourselves at Major League Rugby as not just trying to promote our our league. Obviously, we're trying to do that, but we're also trying to be a shop window for the sport. Um, and kind of an entryway to get people into the sport. Um, so obviously being on Fox is, is incredibly important. You know, we've gradually progressed that deal. We've expanded our package each year. We've kind of gotten more and more exposure at the higher levels of, of their channels, kind of going from Fox 2 to Fox 1 and, you know, driving and getting, increasing our household reach. That's really our focus with that deal is how do we increase our household reach and increase the exposure that we generate through that deal. And they've been great partners on that. Um, the
0: Rugby World Cup is coming to the U.S. in 2031. What's that moment going to be for, for rugby in the U.S.? What What is that going to mean and how are you building
2: towards it? Yeah, so it's less about the moment, to, to your point. It's less about the moment than it is about how we build towards it and how we, we use that the kind of pinnacle, that North Star event. Um, to really capture an audience and capture our fan base. Um, so we're working, you know, the, the, the national federation is called USA Rugby, and, uh, you know, World Rugby is the um, global governing body. We're working with both of those groups around really robust grassroots programming um, so that we can try to drive, um, you know, going back to the, the idea of being stewards of the sport rather than just, you know, stewards of a league, you know, our responsibility, one of the things that we're really trying to push is get more and more kids playing the game, get into more and more schools. Um, So we're doing a lot of joint programming with World Rugby and with USA Rugby, and for the first time ever, that programming is jointly executed and jointly funded, right? We've gotten the first tranche of funding in Um, last year in our pilot program. I might be getting this number slightly off because I don't have it in front of me. I think we got into 387 new schools, over 73,000 new kids um, touching a rugby ball for the first time through one of those programs. Um, It's an incredibly robust program and, you know, what we're trying to do and help World Rugby and help USA Rugby Drive is the legacy of the World Cup, right? So it's how do you use this kind of pinnacle event to teach kids about our game, teach kids about those sort of values and the culture and the traditions of our game, which we think are unique and make it one of a kind and make it um, sort of speak for themselves, right? So how are we driving all of those different programs obviously at the same time as you're doing the bottom up we're working the top down piece we've got the rugby network which is our ott streaming platform and you know that's up 70 um year on year in terms of the number of subscribers we're trying to get uh, more rugby um more rugby on on kind of our national platform through fox um so there's the top down exposure approach but you know really the best way to build a fan base the best way to build a pipeline for future athletes is to be driving that participation in schools. Um, you you teach a, a um, you teach a, a young a young boy or a young girl a sport, um, and they're going to be fans for life.
0: Yeah, and just to wrap us up here, if someone's listening to this, you know, thinking, you know, maybe I'll, I I want to watch a rugby game or even play rugby. What's your pitch for why people should check out this sport?
2: Um, the sport is more than any other sport. As a as a sort of, if you're a parent trying to decide what sport your kids want to play, it's about teamwork. Um, it's about sort of learning the lessons of how to work with a team. How, there's there's a role for everyone. Everybody touches the ball, whether you're the whether you're the big guy up front or the, you're the small fast guy on the outside. Um, there's a role for everybody. Um, So on the participation side, that's, that's an incredibly important part of it. There's a network, there's a global network of people. I grew up playing rugby um, overseas. I played in college and and there's always a global network of people that that you can talk to, that you can reach out to whenever you go somewhere new Um, on the why you should watch side. um, It's absolutely incredible how versatile and talented and fast these athletes are. Uh, you don't realize until you get right up to a game like just how fast they are and how hard they hit each other. Uh, it's an incredible sport. Um, it's an incredible sport to watch. Our athletes are great, um, not only on the pitch, but they're they're engaging. They they love participating with the fans. They they love you know running the youth clinics before and after the game and really kind of doing their piece uh, to grow the sport that they're passionate about. Um, it's really about saying, I, I would say it's. Um, It's about being part of the community and, you know, find the local team, find your local MLR team and go and join the community they're building around their team and around their venue and around their events.
0: Yeah, all right. Nick Benson, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
2: Thank you, thanks for having me.
0: That's it for today, but I'd be remiss not to mention that the Saudi Pro League has scored its next big star signing Neymar in a nearly $300 million deal. Unlike many of the other big fish they've reeled in, Neymar is not at the end of his career. He is closer to his prime. If you're enjoying the show, please share an episode with a friend or drop us a rating. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.